time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. My name is Aaron Stern. I'm so glad to be here. And um, I love desperation. I love the, the theme of the conference this year. We're talking about a, a decade. What is your life going to look like a decade from now? What is your life going to look like in 10 years? Are you going to be loving God? Is it just going to be about your career? Is it just going to be... I don't think the question is, are you going to be an accountant? Are you going to have finished college? Is it going to take you six years to finish your four-year degree? Is it going to take you seven years to finish your four-year degree? Doesn't matter. Finish. The question is not what are you going to do, the question is who are you going to be? This is something that resonates deeply within my heart, not only for you, not only for myself, but I have four boys. My four boys are Parker, he's seven, Cohen, he's six, Brooks is three, and Smith is one. If you say them together, Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith, it sounds like a law firm. And, and they, I love, I love my boys. And I, lo I, lo I tuck them into bed just about every night. And when I tuck them into bed, we pray together. And this is my prayer for them. God, I pray that Parker, Cohen, Brooks, and Smith, my little law firm, I pray that they would become men of God. And so, yes, am I interested in all of you and all of us? Yes, but in the same way, I, as I see you, I see my boys. And I want my boys, when they're 17, 16, 13, and 11, and then 27, 26, 23, and 21, 20 years, and on and on, that they're men of God. I don't really care if they're trash men, accountants, doctors, lawyers, football players. I don't care. I care that they're men of God. I care. God cares that you're a man or a woman of God. My, I, I just got to tell you this since I'm talking about my boys. I got to tell you this one story. Not too long ago, I was walking into the kitchen, just so you get a little picture of the like, craziness of my house, four boys that are competitive. Everything is a race. They race to, to see who brushes their teeth the fastest, eats their dinner the fastest, can go to the bathroom the fastest. I mean, everything is a race. Everything is competition. I beat you. I did it faster. I did it better. So we're working on them, trying to be kind to one another. And but I walked into the kitchen, and, and my two oldest boys, Parker and Cohen, were drawing pictures. And I said, what are you guys drawing? And Parker says, I'm drawing butterflies. And Cohen, with, I didn't even have to ask him, hey, what are you drawing? He said, I'm drawing, butter, I'm drawing a robot that kills butterflies. <laughs> and then I turned to Parker, and I said, why are you drawing butterflies? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, and so... <laughs> So that's, but I want those boys to love each other. I want them to love God. And I think in order for them to love God, not only when they're 15 or 25 or 35 or 45, 75, is that they had better understand that 
God is huge. A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, said this in a book called The Knowledge of the Holy. He said, the most important thing about you is what comes to your mind when you think about God. What comes to your mind when you think about God? And if you maybe step back for a moment and ask yourself that question, David Perkins talked about on the first night that our culture, moralistic, therapeutic deism, a God who, who wants us to live a certain way, but he's available to us, but he kind of keeps his distance. That's what comes to our culture's mind, if you will, when we think about God. I think sometimes we think that God is like our on-star God. I don't have an on-star in my car, but I've seen the commercials, and it's one of those things, you know, where you push the on-star button. It's this little button that has a star there, and you push it for multiple reasons. If you're lost, you can push it. And, and all of a sudden, through your speakers, it will come this nice voice. Hello, on-star, how can I help you? Well, I'm lost. Can you tell me how to, how to get to such and such a place? Why, certainly. And they know exactly where they are because of your GPS that's connected to your car, that's connected to their computer. And they tell you, well, you just need to go this and take a left and go here. I mean, you, you can call for directions. God, I need to know where to go. Tell me where to go. Okay, thank you very much. And then the OnStar person goes away. You don't even have to push the button sometimes. If you were to get into an accident, the car will, will knows if it's in an accident, something's wrong, and so it just automatically calls the OnStar lady, and the OnStar lady says, are you okay? And you're like, oh. <laughs> I wonder if you ever think like you're, you're dead at that moment because all of a sudden this voice just appears out of nowhere. <laughs> emergency vehicles are on the way. It's the, it's the God of the emergency. We only really need God when we're in an emergency, when we're lost or we get in an accident. Is that who we think about when we think about God? Do we think that God really isn't all that powerful and because he's kind of weak that I've got to take my life into my own hands? The reason that I think this is so important and A.W. Tozer says the most important thing about you, not your relationship, not how much money you make, not how famous or unfamous you are, the most important thing about you is what you think about God. Is because if you think small about God, your worship of Him will be small. If you think massive about God, wow, there's this God that is so big, then my worship is going to be. And I think if we're going to give God a lifetime of worship, our God better be bigger than our lives. If our worship is going to be a lifetime of worship, and our worship better be way bigger than our lives. And I'm not talking about that he's got to be like, you know, just bigger than us. Like, I'm talking, we are going to encounter, you will encounter some significant issues in your life. I'm not trying to say that bad things are going to happen to you, but we live in a broken world, and so you are going to encounter some disappointment, some things are going to happen that you're not going to expect, some things are going to happen in your life that you aren't, aren't planning for, and somehow it doesn't, God doesn't quite fit into your box, and I think God better be bigger than those things. Too often, though, what we think is 
the most important thing about us is what we think about ourselves. And our culture loves to tell us, you know, you better think, you know, self-esteem. You got to think about yourself and think well about yourself, and that's really important. And if you can have high self-esteem, then everything's going to be fine, because then you can be confident, and then you can walk through life, and you can be taken care of, and you can take care of yourself. And I think that self-awareness is important. People who are not self-aware are usually, to be quite honest, awkward. So to grow in self-awareness, you know that you need to wear some deodorant. That's good self-awareness, you know? <laughs> that, 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 you're, that, if, that, that it's good to grow in self-awareness that you have bad breath. You know, that's good self-awareness. If you don't grow in self-awareness about things like that, then, you know, that's, that impacts your life, your dating life, and... And so, so self-awareness is good. It's good to be aware of what's going on in your life. Everything from your personal hygiene to how you're feeling about things, that's important. But, but I wonder if we've gotten too concerned with our self-awareness that we've forgotten about God. And we become less God-aware and more self-aware when God is calling us to be more God-aware and less self-aware. I love the Psalms. David, I think, does an amazing job at this. He, can, he, he really is a, a, a beautiful model to us of being self-aware and God-aware at the same time. But God, his God-awareness is much stronger in his heart and in his life than his self-awareness. So if we go to Psalm chapter 13, he's crying out to God and he says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Here he's, 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 he's lamenting. He's, he's crying out. I'm alone. He's very self-aware. Look on me and answer, O Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. Here he's talking about, I, I don't know where you are. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how, how this is happening. And I don't think that, that we read that little section of, of Psalm 13. And then he goes away and he goes to church, conference, youth group, and then he comes back and he writes this, and everything that he was wondering about has gotten fixed. And then he writes, but I trust in your unfailing love. I think this is all written together, where he says, I am having a hard day. Uh, this is really hard. I don't know how this works. I don't know why this isn't working out. I don't know why you feel so far away. God, you need to come to my rescue. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. He, for he has been good to me. He says, I am down in the dumps. I'm having a hard time. Totally true. Totally self-aware. But I say, I'm going to be more God-aware. He lands in a place of being aware of God. I would suggest again, that our God-awareness has been severely weakened. And we need to grow in 
theology. Some of you might hear that word and think, ooh, theology. That sounds difficult. <laughs> that sounds actually like that's something for scholars. Long, gray-bearded, wrinkly old men that live and work in dusty museum-like offices with big, thick books that never get read and write books that nobody ever reads. <laughs> Theology, that sounds awesome. But really, we all are theologians. You are a theologian. I am a theologian. David Perkins is a theologian. The worship guys up here aren't just worship, they're theologians. We all have a under, the definition of God. How do we understand God? Some of you may read those big, thick, dusty books. Some of you may be long, gray, bearded, wrinkly men and women. Hopefully, if you're a woman, you don't have a beard with a dusty museum-like office. But I wonder if our understanding, our theology, our understanding of God has been impacted by our culture. Our culture that says, have what you want and have it the way you want. It's kind of the make your own God. It's the Starbucks God, really. Like I mentioned, I am really thankful for the coffee bean. I mean, let's just have, can we just take a moment of silence for the coffee bean? I mean, it's... Thank God. When I go to Starbucks, this is what I say. I would like a triple tall, whole milk, no whip, one pump mocha. And if I would like to drink it right away, I would like it 160 degrees, please, because 160, more than 160 degrees burns my tongue. So I have to let it cool down because they usually make it at about 170 to 180 degrees, which is too hot for me. Triple tall, whole milk, no whip, one pump mocha, 160 degrees, please. It's mine. It's my drink. That's for me. It's beautiful. And all of you, we could probably go around this room. It would take us a while, but each one of you have your drink made just special for you. And so you think, well, God is just my God made special for me. Because we want to get God to where he is like what we want him to be. And when he is like we want him to be, then we can use him in the ways that we want to use him. And he is where we need him. If he can be like we want him to be, then he'll be available for us when we need him. But you know what also happens? Is he won't surprise you. We get God boxed into this little perfect, this is how I want God to be, my homeboy, my best friend, kind of just fuzzy wuzzy next to me, God. And then we have made it so that God cannot astonish us. I want God to astonish us. I want God to blow us away. I want a God who can amaze me. I've walked with God and loved God since I was a little kid. And I don't want it to be that, oh yeah, I kind of know God. I've read the Bible a lot. Not saying that out of pride. I'm just saying I've read the Bible a lot and had the Bible read to me a lot because I grew up in a Christian home, went to youth group. I wonder if we ever get to the place where we think, I know the Bible enough. 
I mean, I know the Bible enough, you know, like, I kind of know enough about God. I kind of know enough about the story of God. So, you know, enough. I'm, I'm kind of, I've gotten, I've got, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. It's not just good, it's good enough. I want to think about, when I think about God, I want to be amazed. If the most important thing about me is what comes to my mind when I think about God, I want my mind to explode. (laughs) The Israelites, I think, had something like this. I'm not going to read all the story, but in Exodus chapter 3, Moses is out in the wilderness and this bush starts on fire. And, it's, and I think sometimes we, we think, if that happened, my mind would explode. If I could just have an experience like that, or like in the book of Daniel where God, like, his hand comes out of heaven and starts writing on the wall, you know, John, you are my son. You'd be like, that would blow my mind. Or if a bush just started burning in front of me, I go out here and all of a sudden the aspen tree right out in the parking lot just... That would be awesome. And it doesn't get burned up and we all take our shoes off and we're like, holy ground in the middle of the parking lot. Is that what we really need? God says to Abraham, I am. Because he, not Abraham, Moses. Moses asks him, well, who should I tell the people that you are? Burning, should I call you the burning bush God? I talked to the burning bush God. He says, no, I'm not burning bush God. Should I, should I call you the sun God? They lived around, had nations around them that were, had the fertility God and the moon God and, the, and the, the sun God and the rain God and all these different individual gods. And he's like, which one of those? He said, I'm not any of those individuals. I am all, I am. Not burning, I, I am, yes. You know, like wondering if God like took a nap right after he finished that part of the, I am, yes. I am, yeah, God. No, I, I am. That's all. I am, which means to be, I am. Do we ever think of, that, it, the, the, the Israelites took that name of God so seriously that when they would write out the Bible, they wouldn't actually write the full name Yahweh. And they would actually use a different pen or writing instrument for just writing out Yahweh. You might say, well, Aaron, I just... I just don't. When I think about God, I think about, you know, homeboy, my, my best friend, my, man, I appreciate God. I'm thankful that he's my savior, but below my mind, like, whoa, I am, oh, I don't, I don't know that that's where I am. How, so how do I get there? I, I, let me help you just a little bit. Let's go back to the very beginning of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, God 
Now, first, we're going to stop right there, actually. In the beginning, God. It does not say, in the beginning, you. In the beginning, you. No, in the beginning, God. See, we need to start and begin our lives, our relationships, our career, everything. In the beginning of my life, in the beginning of my relationship, in the beginning of my career, in the beginning of anything I do, in the beginning of my school, in the beginning of all those things is not, this is what I think, in the beginning of all those things is God. Let's just talk about relationships for just one second. I believe, as many of you are thinking about, or will be thinking about, who am I going to marry, what am I, what, what, who's the right girl, who's the right one, all those kinds of things, that we have no business and shouldn't even be thinking about whether or not or who that person is and pursuing all of that until at the forefront and the center of our hearts and lives is God. In the beginning was God. When that happens, then is maybe a good time to start saying, God, who are you? See, we often, often ask the question, is she the one? Where's the one? Where's, is he the one? What if you, like, went out on a date when you're, like, 30? You're welcome, parents. And, and, you, and you walk up to the door, guys, and, and you have flowers, guys, and you... And you say, okay, I'm going to take you out and you're going to pay for it, guys. And, but you walk up to the door and you just knock on the door and you say, hi, um, before we get started on this date where I'm going to treat you like a daughter of God and honor you and, and I'm going to treat you like you're worth dying for because you are worth dying for just like God died for his church. You're worth dying for. Uh, but the, I digress. Uh, I just want you to know one thing. Now, this might be a little awkward, but I just want you to know one thing. I know you're not the one. And the girl's like, very interesting. We haven't gone on our first date, and you're telling me I'm not the one. How do you know that? I mean, maybe this is going to go somewhere. And you say, no, you know what? There's not any girl in this world that can be the one because God is the one in my life. Because in the beginning of my life and in the beginning of my relationship was God. In the beginning, God. If God is going to be a massive God, he's got to be first, just like Mark Batterson talked about last night. He, God is not the God that follows you around and hopefully sprinkles some spiritual goodness on top, uh, spice, God spice, onto your relationship to make it like somehow a little nicer and spiritual. Instead, you follow God. I just want you to know as we get into the car, and I'm going to open the door for you guys, uh, that I want you to know no offense, you can maybe be number two. But number one is already taken. Because at the forefront of my heart and at my life is God. In the beginning, God. That's how the world started. That's how my heart is. That's how our relationship will be, whether you're number two or not, in the beginning of my life. Now and tomorrow and next year and when I have 15 kids, I doesn't matter. In the beginning, God. 
And when I'm 35, I'm in the beginning God. And when I'm 29, I'm in the beginning God. And when I'm 67, in the beginning God. The Bible starts with in the beginning God. I gotta get moving. Okay. Getting a little worked up here. Okay. In the beginning God created the heavens. I'm kind of a slow Bible reader, and so we're just not going to make it very far today. In the beginning, God, God's first. God created the heavens. And we kind of blow right by that. Let's talk about the heavens for just a second, because this is what God created, the God who is first. We live, if you thought that you were escaping astronomy because it's summer break, think again. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. The Milky Way galaxy is about 100,000 light years in diameter. And you're like, okay. Listen, just hang on for just a minute. Milky Way galaxy, we have a picture of it up here on the screen. It's about 100,000 light years in diameter and about 1,000 light years thick. Just to give you a little bit of a perspective on a light year, a light year is the distance that light travels in one year. The speed of light is 186,287.5 miles per second. So that means in one second, a snap of your finger, light will have traveled back and forth from Denver, Colorado, just up the road from here, to Delhi, India, which is about halfway across the world, 25 times. That's how fast light is going. A light year, just to know it in like miles, like we walk a run or drive a mile or 10 miles or whatever, a light year is roughly five, well, let's see, five trillion, eight hundred seventy-eight billion, yeah, five trillion, eight hundred seventy-eight billion, six hundred thirty million miles. So you could just, let's just round that for good round numbers to six trillion miles. So a light year is roughly six trillion miles that light would travel in one year. 186,000 miles per second, six trillion miles in a year. So that means that our galaxy, 100,000 light years, it would take us 100,000 years to cross our galaxy, going 186,000 miles per second. That's our one beautiful Milky Way galaxy. Guess how many galaxies God's made that we actually think we know about? 100 billion. NBD. The next closest galaxy to ours, we've got Milky Way, and then our neighbor, neighbor galaxy, it's called the Andromeda Galaxy. It's a picture right there, it's beautiful. Hello, neighbor. 2.5 trillion light way, 2.5 million, excuse me, light years away from Earth. It's twice as big as our galaxy, meaning it would take us 200,000 light years to cross that one. In our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, there are 2.5 trillion stars. You know what I think is amazing about that? Psalm 33, 6, by the word of the Lord, with the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. 
2.5 trillion stars from the Milky Way. And you think God's not very big? We think the sun is pretty amazing. I think so. Keeps us warm. If the sun, by the way, were a little further away from Earth, we would all freeze to death. If it was a little closer to Earth, just not very much, it would burn us all up. So it's just amazing how God puts it in exactly the right place. But there are stars. We think the sun is bright. The sun is a star. There are stars that are over 600,000 times as bright as the sun. The sun is kind of a wimpy star. The nebula, nebulas are kind of one of my favorite star uh, universe astronomical things. This is a nebula near the Milky Way, our galaxy, 100,000 light years across, Denver to the belly. An interstellar cloud of dust, hydrogen gas, helium gas, and plasma, NBD. That's near the Milky Way. Far from the Milky Way is this one. It's called the Pillar Nebula. It's actually just the top of it. That pillar is three light years tall. NBD. Oh, by the way, my God made that. Now this, this actual nebula, and any nebula that you might see, won't last forever because it will be eaten from the inside and the outside by other stars. And they actually believe that nebulas are, could be, in some cases, like star birthing grounds. Like they actually, it's where stars, some stars start. So God's making new stars all the time. He's breathing. As they send off this gas from the star, it actually eats the nebula. They have a star cluster right there. It's a group of stars being held together by their own gravitational pull. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens. <sighs> Breathe stars. Yeah, I breathe air. You and I breathe air that God made, by the way. Out of my mouth, we breathe in oxygen. We breathe out carbon dioxide. God breathes out stars. <laughs> 600,000 times hotter than the sun. 2.5 trillion stars in our galaxy. All right, let's keep going. Cruise through Genesis here. And the earth. Close your Bible right there. We talked about the sun and its closeness to the earth. Let's talk just a second about gravity. 
Gravity is what keeps all living things alive and prevents them from falling off the planet. You know, if gravitational pull was a little less, it would be like space. You know, we see these astronauts that maybe go up into space and they float around. They can't really walk on the moon because they, you know, they're floating away. So they have to, you know, do things so that they don't float away. So thankfully we don't float away because we floated away into the atmosphere, we'd burn up because we'd get too close to the sun and some of the atmospheric pressures and all that kind of thing. And if the gravitational pull were just a little stronger, then we would all... Um, not be able to get... Actually, it's not that we would be just stuck to the ground. It's actually that the pull of gravity from the earth would crush us. My shoulder right here would be pulled through my body and I think I would die. <laughs> None of us would be here because we'd all be splats on the ground. God was the one that figured out how that all works so that we don't do that. Let's talk about winter for just a second. For anybody that's here from Colorado, you know what snowflakes are. For any of you that are from um, hot places, a snowflake is what falls in the wintertime. Usually that's about uh, like, like Texas. Just want to give you a little Colorado lesson for just one second if I can from about, in Colorado at least, usually about late October through sometimes June, um, these, these little frozen crystals of water fall from the sky. It's called snow. It's really amazing. And what's amazing about it, now this is, I, I found this particular statistic, and I found this, I, I always just wondered how this, they do this, but nonetheless, a scientist says on estimation that each winter throughout the world there are about one septillion snowflakes that drop from the sky, which is one with 24 zeros after it, which is one a trillion trillion. NBD. And so I want you to keep in mind that not one of those septillion in just one winter, let alone the fact that there's been thousands of winters, not one of those snowflakes has ever been the same as another snowflake. Let me just show you a few of those snowflakes. That's kind of cool, I think. It's actually very cool. Or like this next one we've got here. That's a snowflake. Or that one. Or that one. I think that one's pretty amazing. God made that, by the way. Or that one. Or that one. Speaking of things, no two things that are alike, I just, um, not too long ago, a couple summers ago, went on uh, to Africa and saw, went on a safari and uh, saw these huge herds of zebras. Do you know that not any two zebras that have ever lived or are living now have the same stripe pattern? That's pretty, 
I don't know, I think that's kind of cool. Um, speaking of no two things that are alike, you might think, okay, well, there's, you know, how many zebras are there? Let's talk about trees then. I don't know if you noticed, but there's a lot of trees in the world, and there have been a lot of trees in the world. And there is not one, two trees that have the same tree ring pattern as another. Because God makes unique things. Let's talk just a little bit about fish. Let's talk about salmon. Salmon tastes good to eat, for one. But salmon are born in these gravel beds, and then they travel to the ocean, they live their lives, and then right before they're going to die, they actually uh, return to the actual gravel bed that they were born to, to uh, reproduce. But, you know, instead of that gravel bed being like right where they live or something, it's actually up rivers. And, and I don't know necessarily why that all happens. Some of it, I think, is for, for protection and, and to be away from predators, things like that. But a salmon, when it's ready to reproduce, to go back to its gravel bed, will go back up the river that it came down originally in the beginning of its life. You can see in this particular picture that a salmon, when it's going up a river, is sometimes going to run into a waterfall, which seems easy enough to go down, but you, when it has to go back up, to go back to the actual gravel bed, you'd think he'd be like, well, I think I'll just stop here. This is good. Instead, it goes up the waterfall. Salmon have been seen to jump up a 10-foot waterfall. And you might think, well, what if the waterfall is taller than 10 feet? Some people have seen salmon go up 50-foot waterfalls 10 feet at a time. They up, one, up to one rock, jump to another rock, up to another rock. 50 feet. That one. My God made that, made that work like that. Man. Oh, they don't have a map, by the way, about where they're going, but they just know where to go. Let's talk about a bigger fish. Let's talk about a blue whale. Look at that thing. The size of a blue whale's heart is the size of an SUV. I drive a, an SUV. When I found this out, I got into my SUV and I thought, I am driving a whale heart today. <laughs> I just recently took my kids to the aquarium and um, there are 212,000 known marine species in our oceans. That's a lot. Marine biologists, I mean 212,000, I mean if you just to list those names, that's a book, a big one. And, but marine biologists estimate that there are between 500,000, so that would be like we're almost halfway there, and 5 million more species that have yet to be discovered. Obviously, they have very exact science going on here. Yeah, we know exactly that there's like between 500,000 and 5 million. Exactly. <laughs> I wonder if God is like, 
Oh, you think that is cool? <laughs> Wait till you see another million things that I've created. NBD. When he created the earth, he created you and me. Did you know that the acid in our stomach is strong enough to dissolve razor blades? And yet, that power to dissolve a razor blade, by the way, don't try it, is gentle enough to digest food and not eat our stomach? Let's talk about the brain that we have. That thing right there has about 100 billion neurons working through it, and each is essential to completing a full thought. All within there. Some of you are thinking, I think my brother got gypped. <laughs> the human brain is capable of having more ideas than the number of atoms in the known universe. The human heart has to pump back and forth blood vessels, has to, through the blood vessels, you know, blood, red blood cells. And if you were to put all of your red blood vessels, and these are red blood cells, and they would be pumped through that, you know how long it would be? 70,000 miles of blood vessels in your body. Just let me put that in. And by the way, it pumps blood through all 70,000 every one minute. To put that in perspective, the distance around the earth is 7,926 miles. So you could circle the earth over nine times if you put all of your blood vessels together and wrap them around the world. Remember we talked about 2.5 trillion stars in just the Milky Way galaxy? Well, there are 250 trillion blood vessels in the human body. More blood vessels in your body than there are stars in our universe. Anybody thinking God's small? One last thing, I got... If all your DNA strands, you know, they have all the DNA that talks about who you are, what color hair you will have, and what color your eyes are going to be, and, and how tall you're going to be, or how short you're going to be, and, and how, you know, what kind of natural talents and skills you might have. All those things are built into what we call DNA, which is kind of the internal hardwired code that God puts into who you are. If you were to stretch out your DNA strands, it would reach to the moon 6,000 times. All that packed, by the way, into your body. Not only that, if all the three billion letters, so there's, you know, we've broken the strand down into little particular codes. If all three billion letters in the human genome in our DNA were stacked, they would reach a height 7,000 times the height of the Empire State Building, packed into your body and my body. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we blow by that. I don't know how I can be like amazed. 
In the beginning, just, just read Genesis 1 and sit on that for a while. I mean, we have barely scratched the surface here in just talking about galaxies and DNA strands and eyeballs. And well, We didn't even talk about eyeballs. I skipped some of those notes. But zebras and tree rings and whales and SUVs and all that stuff. God made that. <laughs> Three stars. God is huge. We kind of think, oh yeah, he's kind of, you know, it's cool. Listen to this. This is in Revelation. When John says, John 1, 12. Turned around, John turned around to see there had been a voice that was speaking. And he says, turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze, glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the, like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I said, What's up, homeboy? I fell at his feet. As though dead. And he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. <laughs> That's funny. Sword coming out of his mouth. His eyes are blazing fire. And when he speaks, he speaks like rushing water. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Don't be afraid. Okay. Oh, boy. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and of Hades. Oh, and by the way, in the beginning, I was, and I created the heavens and the earth. I created all that. Watch this. Stars. Yeah. Don't be afraid, by the way. He said, I don't know. I just can't wrap my mind and heart around this. God is huge. See, if our worship if our worship of God is going to last a lifetime, our understanding of God better be huge. And if we want to stand in awe of God, it means that we're amazed. I've lived in Colorado most of my life, and actually lived in Colorado Springs most of my life. And when I... Um, I, drive, I live south of the church here, and, I, and so I drive up I-25. It's the freeway that, that runs through the city. And as I drive up I-25, onto my left is the Rocky Mountains and Pikes Peak. And whenever I have friends that come into town, I often might just find them like this, staring at the mountains. I'm like, what are you doing? Dude, that's awesome. I mean, that's... That's Pikes Peak. I'm like, yeah, I know. I'm like, how, how do you get anything done around here? I mean, I live in Kansas. The tallest thing we have is corn. 
think. I mean, how, how do you guys not get, how do you not get in an accident every day when you drive to work? Whoa. What if that was our way that we interact with God? How, how do I, God, I, What are you doing? Just looking at the stars. Cool. You realize I'm only seeing like a couple thousand? Cool, man. What's, you know. There's 2.5 trillion of them up there. So I'm like barely seeing any. I'm just trying to figure out. Just trying to, just, just taking a moment to think about that God went like this. What? My God, like. Who? God. Whoa. What if, what if we stood in awe of God, like stand in the awe, awe of a mountain or stars? Say, God. I worship you. Because you are so big. See, when we focus on ourselves and we forget how big God is, we, we lose sight of who is big and who is small. I want us for the rest of our lives to recognize that God is so huge. In the beginning, God. The God of the heavens. The God of the earth. The God of the 250 trillion blood vessels inside of you. God. And that God loves you, sent his son for us, talks to you. And when we have a God like that, when that's the idea of a God that comes into our mind when we think about God, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, we'll still be worshiping God because we have barely scratched the surface. And our lives worship to him. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did, because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart, they've got passion for God, they're leading intercession on their schools, they're set apart, consecrated under God, and they've got a vision and a mission for their life.